Hi, I'm Esther Jun, the director of the Stratford Festival's Langham Directors Workshop, and you're listening to Director's Notes, an original Stratfest at Home podcast. Enter the creative psyches of this season's directors with the festival's first original podcast, Director's Notes. Explore the artistic vision and tireless work behind each production through the eyes of the people who bring the festival's productions to life. This intimate look at our season's play are the perfect pre-show warm-up and post-show reflection. We wish to honor the ancestral guardians of this land and its waterways, the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Wendat, and the Attawandarok. Today, many Indigenous peoples continue to call this land home and act as its stewards. And this responsibility extends to all peoples to share and care for this land for generations to come. Whether you have already seen the production or you are currently en route, we thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome back. I'm glad that you came back and uh, I hope you saw the whole show. My name is Jillian Kiley, I'm the director, and I'm very happy to uh, tell you a little bit now that includes a bit of spoilers. For Greek tragedies like this, which I know it wasn't exactly a Greek tragedy, but the way we put it together was, I don't mind there being spoilers because because um, I think it's kind of how it happens, not that it happens in a lot of these plays. We know that Romeo and Juliet are gonna die. It's another one. We know that's gonna happen. <laughs> so it's like, but how? How does it happen? Uh, but anyway, I'll share a few thoughts now that you know uh, how it all went down. So there was a couple of things that we did when we were putting it together about how we made, uh, how we ran the room inside, and also how we educated ourselves to be able to tackle these very interesting, complex topics. And um, something I do, I really believe in, you know, I kind of usually keep this just to the, the people in the room, but I... I I don't mind sharing since you've been with me today. I really talk to the actors uh, and people in the room a lot about the theater gods uh, and whether they'll come and visit the room or not. And I, I've seen a lot of shows. I used to be the artistic director of a large company and I've seen a lot of shows, I must say in the thousands. And I see some shows that are very, very, very well put together, but they don't have that spark. And I really need that spark myself. I need it. I need it in the room. I need to see it because theater for me is a very spiritual experience. And I find it actually painful to not have uh, a connection with the show. So I'm really hoping that you did. So when I work with the actors, I always talk about inviting the theater gods in. And we do something uh, at the beginning of our rehearsals that sometimes it's an induction and sometimes it's an invocation, but it's the same kind of thing. It's kind of a warm-up kind of a game uh, or a series of games that we do, but all of them are, that's at the beginning of the day, every day, and all of it is about connecting the group, making sure everybody's voice is heard, making sure that everybody feels comfortable in the room, like they can, you know, anybody from very, very small role to somebody who's on stage all the time. And when you have a very big cast like this that has a very big chorus, that's a very important chorus, like uh, Our Angels, there's some roles in the play that are named, many roles in the play that are named that are not on stage nearly as much as our angel chorus, for example. So it's really important that everybody feels like they are 
essential. And every single one of the people in this show are essential, even though there's 30 of them. So we had a really great room and we were constantly in the conversation about God, about our, uh, not our personal relationships with God. I don't get into that, but we talked a lot about uh, what it is to believe that you are special, what it is to believe that you are um, on a mission and what it, what it does to you to lose your purpose uh, in the world. And again, I, I try not to get too personal with people, but I think we, we all have a similar experience in that we're kind of told or believe that we have a purpose in the world and that we have a central why of why we're here and the meaning of life and the meaning of our own lives. Um, and to, to lose that, I think, I think we have a very intelligent cast you know, Stratford really gets some of the very best in the world, really. But certainly um, in our own country, we're so privileged to work with the cast members and, and costumers and you know, designers, everybody, crew, everybody who works at Stratford is, is top notch. And um, we had such very good conversations earlier in the uh, podcast. I, I told you about um, the, the garden metaphor and how you know, the luxury of a, a, a garden that was, you know, too heavy with plums and apricots, that they were killing the, the roots of the trees. They were killing the branches of the trees with their prodigious weight. And um, we decided one time to, or I kind of surprised the cast, but um, we decided to make a garden that's a conservative garden. And then we made a garden that was a liberal garden. And we split the group to whoever was in the conservative group. So, you know, Northumberland and um, Hotspur, uh, certainly um, Bolingbroke, uh, York, go back and forth, but mostly York, uh, the Duchess, all of these people built a conservative garden and the liberal <laughs> and some of the angels went to one side and some of the angels went to the other um, to keep it even. And the um, the liberal uh, group, of course, um, Omerol and uh, Richard and of course uh, Bushy and Green, they all went over to the Liberal Garden, and I I just went to the dollar store and I bought <laughs> I bought a bunch of play doh, and I gave them two tables and I said, let's explore what it is to have a, a conservative garden and what it is to have a liberal garden, and you should see I I don't know if there's any way for people to see a picture you you have to see these beautiful gardens that the the team made and just to just to facilitate the conversation about what it is. Um, what liberalism is, what real conservatism is, why is conservatism bad if it's stopping a liberal, uh, you know, the non-maintenance uh, of, of a liberal live and let live policy. So we really tried um, in all of our conversations to, to not get um, caught up in uh, personal politics, but really investigate, because, uh, you know, uh, whatever people's personal um, ideals are, I think we really had to investigate what really is conservatism, what really is freedom. And we couldn't put a pejorative or a negative on any of that. So we divided the group, not between conservative and liberal, uh, after our <laughs> after our Play-Doh garden making, which is pretty great. But after that conversation, we really decided to not split it between um, liberal and conservative or um, liberal and not liberal, you know, so that there was nothing, you know, um, 
happening, but uh, there was nothing pejorative happening. We didn't want to, you know, because Bolingbroke has lots of good reasons to have become king. Uh, he didn't even want to become king, and he just had to take it because somebody had to take control in, in his mind. And then we um, we decided that the divide was a much more Shavian argument. Uh, it was a much more complex argument than liberal or conservative. It was actually freedom uh, and strength. And what's more important? Is strength more important than freedom? Or is you know, freedom more important than strength. And, and that was ultimately the battle that we see happening. And, you know, Northumberland certainly believes that strength is far more important than freedom. Um, and of course, Richard really believes that freedom is, is the only way that people can live. So, and and even York, who was caught in the middle, or, or Bolingbroke, who really um, would be comfortable with freedom as the primary uh, ethic or, or morality or ideal, except for that it went too far. It just went too far. So we had some really interesting conversations in the room about all of these politics and and what these moral and ethical uh, lines in the sand were. And it really, uh, it was a really exciting room to be in. I've done quite a few shows here and uh, it's always a thrill because the talent that I'm dealing with are, are so extraordinary and I'm always humbled. I'm always humbled uh, with Shakespeare regardless. And that's something that I really, I've directed quite a few Shakespeare's and, and I went to um, a friend of mine who was the first directing protege in the Langham program many years ago. And she's an extraordinary Shakespeare director. And I, I went to her, I said, Danielle, it's Danielle Irvine, a Newfoundland director. She's extraordinary. And I said, Danielle, I just realized I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I was just got frightened. Uh, even though I directed on the main stage, I, I think I was the first woman to ever direct a Shakespeare on the main stage. I think that's true. Somebody put that in an article one time in a newspaper and I I had no idea <laughs> anyway. But I was, um, I don't know, I got scared or something and I, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. It was the first Shakespeare that I'd done that was in all verse. Um, and maybe just that and just feeling like I was at the brink of what I knew how to do with the text. And uh, Danielle coached me and she gave me several lessons over uh, several months. And uh, I read a bunch of books and did a bunch of research on top of, you know, regular research that I would be doing for the show. And I really needed to get my confidence up. I got, I just got really humbled, I guess, humbled by the genius of it and humbled by my inadequacy. You know, because I, I mean, I, there's some of the best Shakespeare directors in the world have directed here. And I, I don't know, I just got scared. And so usually the coaching staff will ask you at the beginning of your term, who do you want us to reach out to? Who would you like us to work with in particular? We can coach this way and this way. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I guess you should work with our lead, Stephen. And I suppose you should work with our wonderful second lead, you know, Emilio Vieira, and, and of course, uh, Jordan Hall, who's Bolingbroke, uh, and the others. Of course, there are some people who could teach Shakespeare anywhere in the world, like Michael Spencer Davis or Sarah Ornstein, who are in our cast. Uh, you know, there's so many of them, actually, I won't even begin to list. There's, a, you know, maybe 10 actors in our company who are just some of the best Shakespeare speakers in the world. And then I said, 
wait, before you get somebody on Steven or any of our other uh, leads, I think I need a coach myself. And they said, oh, like as a director. I was like, yeah. I said, I need I need to be coached. So I got some individual coaching from, of course, uh, Danielle, but also Tim Wellham. And they have a wonderful coaching staff here. There's, I think, four or five of them. And they come around, uh, different coaches are assigned to different shows, but they they come around, they work with individual actors, they try to aim for clarity, they really try to make sure that people are, know what they're talking about. They give me notes sometimes after the shows. But what was really extraordinarily wonderful for me was that I kind of, I don't know, got super, <laughs> super humble and said, I need the coaching myself. I need it more than anybody here. Stephen has a way better grasp on the Shakespeare than I do. And so I got some individual coaching and then I invited Tim to come to our rehearsals and at the beginning of our day, uh, one of the first things we did was Tim brought in a little Shakespeare refresher. Uh, what to do with commas, how the rhyme works, why uh, certain verbs work certain ways, how to make things step up or step down, and you know how to use alliteration, how to use different, um, different kinds of metaphor, how to use things that are uh, in sentence with their opposite. And of course, Richard II, as you just heard, is full of instances of something and its opposite, something and its opposite. So antithesis is all through the play and how to make that sparkle. And, and I'm so grateful to Tim and, uh, you know, Paul DeYoung and Jane Goodrum. And really, we just had an extraordinarily good coaching team who helped coach the actors. But in this case, they coached me too. And, and I'm so grateful for that because I, I came in scared and I, I left. <laughs> I'm still humbled, but I'm less scared. So that was really great. It was also really good to um, to work with a choreographer on a Shakespeare. I, I've never done that. I have directed quite a few Shakespeare, but I've never worked with a choreographer on it. And, and it was such a treat to create this special take on that world with Cameron Carver, who is just, you know, he's just one of the most extraordinary artists I've ever met. So I think a big part of the aesthetic and a big part of the storytelling for us is in the dance. And uh, there was a very famous book out at that time. I think Andrew Halloran uh, wrote it called The Dancer from the Dance. And it's a quote from, how do you separate the dancer from the dance? I feel like it's Walt Whitman or something. I can't remember who wrote the original quote, but how do you separate the dancer from the dance? And, and for me, it was, how do you separate the text from the dance? <laughs> how do you separate the story from the dance? And Cameron and I worked really closely and uh, on trying to make the text the dance, trying to continue the dance with the text as it's in verse so that the ride never stops for the audience. So that uh, that was something we worked really hard on. And and we continue um, at the time of this recording. I'm, I'm not quite open yet. We are in previews and a lot of what we're trying is trying to smooth smooth the dance into the text and keep on dancing all the way through. This is Jill Kiley, and I hope you enjoyed Richard II. Thanks so much for listening to this post-show episode of Director's Notes. Be sure to stay connected by subscribing as we'll be releasing new episodes weekly. Thank you and have a beautiful day.